We're beginning a new study this evening. I said that our sort of theme for this year, we're going to endeavor to be better disciples of Jesus, try to follow in his steps. And so we're beginning a, a new book put out by the same people, uh, some of the same writers as the one we went through this last year, the one word study called His Life. Now, I recognize that if you're one of these people who's been going through the book with us, that actually we had one more lesson to go. Uh, and presumably that's because they originally put it out in 2017, and maybe, I don't know, I didn't look at the calendar, but maybe there were 53 Sundays that year instead of 52. But at any rate, that last lesson was on the Holy Spirit, and I thought it was kind of poetic because we don't really like to talk about the Holy Spirit in churches of Christ anyway. So... We'll just leave that off and go past the Holy Spirit. And I see some people shaking their heads. Oh, I'm terrible. Uh, His life. This is not just a biography of Jesus, a look at the events of his life, although it is that. Uh, Rather, we're going to look at the way Jesus is revealed throughout all of Scripture, how it points to him in its entirety. So there'll be lessons focused on Jesus in the Old Testament and how he relates to various different characters. There will be biographical elements of his life, but we'll also be looking in depth at some of his teachings. There will be lessons focused on the big themes, important words that are related to Jesus. All this is with the goal of coming to know him better and to follow him more closely. So we have these books available. They're out there on the table by the door. Get one as you leave. But I'll say this. Uh, I know not everybody utilizes the book, and that's okay. There's no judgment here. I'm not complaining if you, if you don't. Some people get some value out of it. I got a lot of good feedback from some who really enjoyed that last book. Some, it may not be their thing, and, and that's okay. But I mention all that because the previous book, Uh, was subsidized by a particular congregation. So we got all of those at about $3 a copy, and we ordered two cases, 72. They were all taken. Obviously, we seldom have 72 people here on a Sunday night. So we have some who are not here who took them, and that's fine. That's great if they got use out of it. But uh, the upshot of that is that these weren't subsidized, and they cost the church $9 each. So we only ordered 30 of them rather than 72, and those 30 actually cost more than those 72 did. So my point is, if you want one, great. Take it and use it. I think we'll get a lot out of this study. But if you don't, don't feel obligated to because we didn't order so many. And if you would like to... um, Uh, pay for your own book yourself, certainly that would be appreciated. Although, again, it's not required. If all of you took a book tonight uh, and got it for free, we'd be just fine with that. At any rate, we want to try to go through this a little bit differently than we did that one-word study. For one thing, uh, last year, my lesson followed the readings. This year, it's going to precede it. Uh, we're just going to try to change it up a little bit here. So in other words, we're going to have the lesson on the first week's readings tonight, and then you'll start reading them whenever you get it uh, this week. So instead of sort of wrapping things up and tying a bow around it, uh, we just want to try to get the juices flowing here, thinking about what it is we're going to be reading here and studying in this next week. Uh, for another thing, while a lot of those words were immensely complex. It required a lot of deep uh, analysis on some of this. 
It's not that these topics are not deep, because some of them are, but since our goal is trying to know Jesus better and trying to follow him more closely, we're trying to take this from the, the theoretical to the practical. I hope to keep these a, a little bit more conversational, maybe a little more informal, a little shorter in general, at least that's going to be the goal with these lessons on Sunday evening. But uh, the purpose, hopefully we can take some of these thoughts on Sunday night, use them as a springboard as we go into our own reading, our own study throughout the week, whether it's in this book or whether if we decide to uh, dive in more deeply beyond this book. But also, maybe more importantly, hopefully we can take some of these thoughts and really apply them in our lives as we go through this next week and, of course, beyond this week. So the first reading in this book focuses on Jesus as he's revealed in Genesis 1 and in John chapter 1, seeing him there. And we want to connect those two passages together this evening just with three brief points. First of all, Jesus came to make us new, to recreate us. Now, Tristan read this text from John chapter 1 that's pretty familiar to most of us here tonight a few moments ago. But how does John's gospel begin? In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? It should. Absolutely it should. Because that should, in our minds, take us right back to the first words of the Bible. It should take us back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's an intentional echo. John's drawing our attention to that for a reason. His gospel begins consciously pointing us back to creation. So what was there in the beginning? What was there at creation? The word. In the beginning was the word. The Greek term that's translated here as word is logos. That's a term we probably heard of. In fact, we had our very first lesson on it in the one word study last year. This is an extremely difficult term to translate into English because there's no one English equivalent that really does it justice. And so more often than not, you'll see word, and it's not that that's wrong, that's right, but it doesn't really convey the full significance of this term in the Greek. So in some translations, you'll see it rendered as something like logic or act or deed, all of these are trying to capture the nuance of this word. In Greek philosophy, the logos was the great organizing principle of the entire universe, of the cosmos. It's what brought it structure. It's what gave it coherence. For the Stoic philosophers, the logos was this divine spark that existed within all of human beings. Now, when we start to think of this, that's odd. We don't really, most of us, think in categories like that. But I think we can understand it just a bit, even if we don't really want to go through a crash course in Greek philosophy. Someone simply has put it this way. Jesus shows us God the way our words show our invisible thoughts. Jesus shows us God the way our words show our invisible thoughts. 
And that's really the idea that this concept of logos is driving at. In fact, some early Christian theologians talked about it in that sense. Think about it this way. Gentlemen, do you understand what your wife is thinking? Can you just read her mind most of the time? Probably not. Parents, can you read your children's minds? Probably not. Sometimes you wonder if anything's going on in there at all. The point is that's for the children, not for your wife. By the way, I want to be very clear. I was applying that in a very limited sense. The point is we know someone's thoughts when they speak. We can't just automatically assume we know. We can't just read their mind. The best way to know someone's thoughts is when they reveal themselves in their words. That's the idea with referring to Jesus as the Logos, as the Word. God's thoughts, his mind, is revealed in Jesus. But what's different from Greek philosophy is that this word here, he's not an abstract principle. He is personal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That is, he was in fellowship with him, and the Word was God. So Jesus was Emmanuel. Remember that term that Isaiah uses? It means God with us. It's why Jesus could say later on in John's gospel that the Father and I are one. John chapter 10 and verse 30. It's why he could say in chapter 14 when Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father and that suffices, that's sufficient for us. He says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know? Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. The word is not abstract, he's personal. He is a person and a personality. He was with God in fellowship with him, and he is God. All things were made by him or through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So again, we go back to creation here, that same idea. It's taking us back to Genesis chapter 1. All things were made through the word. We find that in Paul's writings also. Uh, In a few places, my favorite place is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, where he says, by him all things were created. He talks about that in some detail, but then he goes on to add that in him all things hold together. That is, not only is Jesus responsible for creation, but he's responsible for the fact that the world continues to exist. He upholds it by his power. So the Son was instrumental in creation. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Why does that matter? We think about the word as it relates to creation, as it relates to Genesis chapter 1. It means that the word is qualified to bring about a new Genesis, a new creation, a new beginning. Think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, or better, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're in Christ, you have a new beginning. You're a new creature. You have been recreated. So John is not just pointing us back to creation 
by doing that, he's bringing up this concept of new creation. Back in Genesis chapter 1, we all remember, God created humanity in his own image. And he gave us a task of going out and bearing that image, reflecting that image to the rest of the world. But of course, human beings chose to reject that task. And instead, we wanted to be our own gods. We wanted to make ourselves in the image we wanted to be in, to make our own choices, our own decisions. And we all know the results of that. Pain, suffering, brokenness, ultimately death. We don't even need to belabor that. We can just look around and see how broken and dismal our world is in many ways because God's good creation has been marred by sin. But the point of John chapter 1, at least in part, is that God doesn't leave us there in our brokenness. The word has come to make all things new. If you go down to verse number 7, it says he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He came that all might believe through him. That's the first time we read this extremely important word in John, believe. It's maybe the most important verb in the book. John never uses it as a noun. He always uses it as a verb. But if we go to the end of his gospel, we see this is the whole reason he wrote it. Jesus did a lot of the other things that aren't recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the whole point of John's gospel. That's the whole point of the word coming into the world. And that word here, that all might believe through him, that's a present participle. That means that this is ongoing. This is continuous action. So it's not just that you believe at some point in the past and then you can sort of go on about your business on your merry way. Those who believe, not only believe now, but they keep on believing. This is ongoing, constant, persevering trust in Jesus. It's like that journey song, don't stop believing. That's the idea that's here in this verse. Those who are true believers meet Jesus in baptism. That's what we find a little later in John's gospel. Chapter 3 and verse 5, they're born again of water and of the Spirit. And we find here in chapter 1 the privilege of that down in verse number 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the point is, just as the word created the world, the word recreates us through our faith, through our baptism. He gives us a new beginning. And it offers us this chance once again to truly be God's children the way that he intended in the beginning. Jesus, secondly, came not only to recreate us, but he came to be with us. Think again back to that Genesis account. What we find is that the Lord walked in the garden. He talked with human beings there. That sort of intimate fellowship is hard for us to imagine, but just think about that. Think about the richness, the closeness of that relationship with God. 
But of course, that level of intimacy was lost. That relationship was fractured when sin entered the world. And so much of the Old Testament we see even in the prophets, it's longing for a restoration of that relationship, of being in that closeness with God again. So we find this exciting statement then in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God came and he took on human form. He took on flesh. He walked among us. He ate with us, drank with us. He talked with us. Or as John puts it at the beginning of his first letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, there's that word again, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Similar terminology, he talks about him as the word of life, but he says, we've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him. God took on human form. Jesus came so that God could live with, could dwell with his people again. That's what the tabernacle symbolized in the Old Testament, wasn't it? The tabernacle was the place where God symbolically lived with his people. Well, it's no coincidence that John uses that term here in verse 14. That's literally what he says. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That is a wonderful blessing. But it also means that our lives are now sacred space because through the Spirit, Jesus lives in us. He dwells within us. Our bodies are places where the Spirit of God lives just the way that he dwelt in the tabernacle, just the way, in a sense, that he dwelt in Jesus. Third, and finally, Jesus came to give us purpose. He came to give us a new mission. Or maybe when we connect this again back to Genesis chapter 1, the better way to think about this is a renewed mission. We've already mentioned back in Genesis chapter 1, God created human beings in his image. That is to reflect him, to reflect his purposes, to reflect his wise and benevolent rule into creation. And then he gives them a charge. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, the whole earth needs to be full of human beings who image God. Now, of course, we know how they rebelled from that purpose. But now, as new creatures, we're called to renew that very same mission. You know, we can compare that idea of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth with these signposts, these images of God's reign to the Great Commission. Think about it in Matthew's account. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's that presence again. Jesus came to be with us. But my point is we're to go out and to fill the earth with disciples. Much like that command to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with those who image God. Well, we're called to be new creatures we're called to image God, and Jesus revealed what God is like to us in human form. And then we're called to go out and to make more people just like us who image him in just that same way. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, 
the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's the point of the word becoming flesh. He has revealed God to us. And now that we know what God looks like, he expects us to go out and reflect that to others. Jesus has come. God has lived among us to make him known. And now knowing that, we must go out and make him known. That's our purpose. That's our mission. And I hope as we go throughout this year, we'll take that mission seriously to follow in his steps, to try to be refashioned more and more into that image of Christ. And then we'll take it seriously to go out and reflect that and try to allow others to see that he is living in us so that they might become disciples too. If you're here this evening and you haven't done a good job of that, of reflecting Jesus in your life, if you haven't been the sort of disciple that you ought and you need to make changes in a public way, you have the opportunity to make your need known now while we stand and while we sing.